Hello there, and welcome to episode four of Baseball Ramble. Today is Tuesday, January 28th, and since I did not post an episode on Friday because of just not being able to, we have a lot of news to get to, including the Hall of Fame results, the Braves citing Marcelo Zuna, the, Red, the Reds citing Nick Castellanos, the Diamondbacks trading for Starling Marte, some Nolan Arenado and Mookie Betts trade rumors, the Mets hiring Luis Rojas, and more. But first, I want to talk about something that has nothing to do with baseball, but everything to do with sports, and that is the passing of NBA legend Kobe Bryant, who died in a helicopter accident. Not uh, about 24 hours from when I'm recording this. And I did not personally ever get to see Kobe Bryant play. He retired when I was fairly young. But I've heard, obviously, plenty about him. And I've obviously seen plenty of highlights on TV and stuff. And it's just a tragedy, especially because not only did he pass, but his 13 year old daughter Gianna passed as well and seven others and it's just a terrible terrible accident so I thought I would pay my respects because while this isn't a baseball news this is sports news and it's shook up the entire world of sports and the entire world in general so now we'll get into baseball lighten the mood a bit so the Hall of Fame results came in on Tuesday, and by now you obviously know Derek Jeter and Larry Walker have been inducted into the 2020 class of the baseball or the MLB Hall of Fame. So let's talk about the storylines that were created from this, uh, from the Hall of Fame ballot. So obviously the biggest story, and this is arguably a non-story, Derek Jeter one sh- one vote shy of being unanimous. The second. He would be the second unanimous player of all time behind, obviously, the guy who got in last year unanimously, Yankees closer Mariano Rivera. Uh, Personally, I don't think this matters that much. I think it mattered until it happened, basically. It was going to be a big deal once it happened, but who cares who's the second and third and fourth and fifth players who are unanimous? It doesn't really matter. But if you want it to matter, then Derek Jeter should not be unanimous. He's not nearly the greatest shortstop of all time. He's probably an average Hall of Fame shortstop. While Mariano Rivera was by far, unarguably, the greatest at his position of all time. There was no one who even was in the realm of Mariano Rivera. Not only because of his regular season legacy, but he stepped it up. He's the, probably the one of the greatest postseason pitchers ever and is no doubt the greatest relief pitcher in the postseason ever. Just the definition of clutch. And Derek Jeter was really clutch too. And he, he was an accumulator, which you can't... I don't think you should hurt a guy... Uh, for being an accumulator, but that's what he was. He was never an abs- He was never one of the best players in baseball. And I don't think it's that big of a deal that he felt one vote shy. I don't think you should even. I mean, it doesn't affect him. 
So I, I don't think he's think I I would bet money he's not even thinking about it right now. So we also have Larry Walker, who is most famous for his time with the Expos and Rockies. And he finally got in after 10 years on the ballot. He should have been in a long time ago. He actually has a better career war than Derek Jeter. So, I mean, Larry Walker was probably a better player than Derek Jeter. Uh, I don't think there's much of an argument for that. Uh, Larry Walker just absolutely was an historic hitter. He had a career 960 OPS with a career 140 WRC+. Plus. Uh and he's finally broken the curse of Coors Field. Coors Field, you know, it it hurts pitchers and it helps hitters, but people don't really make up for the pitchers who get hurt, and people penalize the players for being in Coors Field, which is deservedly so. I mean, you look at guys like Nolan Arenado and Trevor Story, who their, their offensive stats should be significantly lower, though they're both still great, great players. But Larry Walker was noted out of Hall of Fame with the ballpark adjustment. He was, adjustment. He was still forty percent above league average for his entire career. We also have another travesty on this ballot. Omar Vizquel got fifty percent of the vote, and Scott Rowland only got thirty percent. I I don't know what world Omar Vizquel should be getting twenty percent more votes than Scott Rowland. I've talked about this before. Vizquel was. 17% below league average for his career offensively, while Roland was over 20% league average for his career. Plus, Roland's DRS and UZR were almost 100 over Omar Vizquel's career DRS and UZR. Uh, it's kind of stupid, honestly. I don't know what the Hall of Fame voters' obsession with uh, Omar Vizquel is. He literally, his war is 42.5, which I have no doubt would be one of the lowest marks. Because I do think he will make the Hall of Fame eventually. There's almost no one who reaches 50% in only their third year on the ballot who doesn't end up getting that extra 25% in their next seven years on the ballot. I think Roland will make it too, just a few years, maybe not a few, maybe two, yeah, probably a few years later. I don't know what this obsession is. I, I just don't get it. I don't even know what to say about Omar Vizquel at this point, and I'm going to be having the exact same conversation about this next year. And another story is that Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens continue to inch their way up. They went from like 59% to 61% this year, and they only have two years left on the ballot, so even if they double the pace they're going at, they're only going to be at around 69% by the, end, by the time they would fall off their ballot. So unless there's a huge group of guys who come in and support Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, they're not making the Hall of Fame. And then they're definitely not going to make it on their veteran on the veteran committees. Those guys have no chance of voting for Bonds and Clemens because those guys are the oldest school guys you could possibly have. So my so I'm going to go into my 2021 Hall of Fame predictions and it's pretty simple. It's Kurt Schilling. He's probably going to be the only guy who's going to make it. The only reason Kurt Schilling probably didn't get in this year was because he has some sketchy Twitter history. Uh, not going to get into that, but yeah, he, that he's going to end up getting in though. There's, I don't even know if anyone's ever gotten over 70% without ending up making it in the Hall of Fame. So Kurt Schilling, probably going to be the lone Hall of Famer next year. 
we'll probably see guys like uh, Omar Vizquel and Andrew Jones and Scott Rowland, Gary Sheffield, all those types of guys. They're going to be uh, going up more. I think and none of the newcomers next year are even going to be close to Hall of Fame worthy because uh, I think like the two biggest names coming on are Mark Burley and Torrey Hunter. I think those are the two biggest names, and those guys won't even garner. Uh, Torrey Hunter won't garner probably any type of Hall of Fame voting, and then he might even he might fall off. And then Mark Burley, I'm not sure he will either. So yeah, the newcomers on next year's ballots are all going to be mostly irrelevant. So it's just going to really be this Kurt Schilling show. So that's it for the Hall of Fame talk. Uh, I kind of spread. I I'm trying to spread out the signings throughout the show. So first off, we're going to get into the Reds signing of outfielder Nicholas Castellanos. It's a four-year, $64 million deal. So, again, I'm horrible at predictions, apparently. I Again, I said in a show later or earlier, Marcelo Zuna is going to go to the Braves. I said, Nick, or not Braves, I, I said Marcelo Zuna is going to go to the Cardinals. Nick Castellanos is going to go to the Rangers. I actually... In a rough draft of a, because uh, I did start to record an episode for Friday, but decided I I could not. I did predict in that show that Starling Marte would be traded to the Mets. By the time I make my next podcast, I didn't end up posting that, and of course today Starling Marte got traded to the Diamondbacks. But back to the point, Castellanos to the Reds. For, I, I am confused by this deal. So the Reds already have mostly a full outfield. Their starting outfield going into the season was supposed to be Jesse Winker, um, Shogo Akiyama, who was a signing from Japan, and Aristides Aquino. And then you also had Nick Senzel. Um, and that's the reason why when the rumor came out that the Reds were uh, interested and still in on Nick Castellanos, I didn't really take it that seriously because it's like well they have kind of a full outfield so what's going to happen to them now well castellanos obviously since he's going to be making 16 million dollars a year for four years and actually i forgot to mention castellanos actually does have an opt-out after this season so if he is really good this season and isn't satisfied with what the three years 48 million dollars that would be remaining on his contract he can opt out and become a free agent next off season as well if he wants to try to get a bigger deal but again Castellanos is obviously going to be a starter. And I would think, since the Reds are paying Shogo Akiyama a decent amount of money as well, I would think he's going to be a starter too. So that really leaves the last outfield spot to uh, Jesse Winker, Aristides Aquino, and Nick Senzel. There was an interesting rumor that came up today about Nick Senzel actually is being considered in trade talks by the Reds. They're considering trading Nick Senzel, which to me would be quite, it would be puzzling at the least. I don't know why you would trade Nick Senzel, especially when your starting shortstop as of right now is Freddie Galvis. Are you telling me you can't play Nick Senzel over Freddie Galvis? That doesn't make much sense to me. So what I think is going to happen is uh, Reds lineup is going to be Tucker Barnhart at catcher, Joey Votto at first, Moose at second, Senzel playing shortstop and outfield whenever he needs to. 
third base, Eugenio Suarez. And I think the outfield will be Jesse Winker, Sho- Jesse Winker and kind of Aristides Quino, and then Shogo Akiyama and Nicholas Castellanos. So, and so you may be wondering what, how is Aristides Quino going to be uh, just a platoon guy after his hot stretch? And yeah, Aristides Quino is a fluke. I think that's very fairly clear. He was terrible in September. And he was way outperforming his expected stats. And his BABIP was insanely high. I don't remember when it was, but it was like mind-boggling high, mind-bogglingly high. I I don't think he's ever going to repeat that. I think that's going to be the great... I, I think that month he put together is probably going to be better than any any year he ever puts up. I just don't think Arstea Sacchino is a future Major League starter. I think that was a fluke. So am I a fan of the Nick Castellanos trade? I don't know yet. Personally, if I was a Reds executive, I'd be hoping Nicholas Castellanos just has a really great like four or five war season. Maybe continues his improvement on his defense because he went from like a negative 24 OAA to a negative 8 OAA uh, in the past two seasons. So I'm maybe hoping for he's just slightly below average. I doubt that happens. But... I would just hope that Nicholas Castellanos has a great year and then he opts out and that then we can start Nick Senzel and whoever else, Akiyama and Winker, who, when we want them in the outfield. So, yeah, I'm pretty, I'm kind of confused. I really, really, really thought he was going to go to the Rangers. That was my most confident. I was super confident in that. So let's talk about the Nolan Arenado rumors that sprouted up last week. These are probably fairly old, but I think it's still interesting to talk about. So most of you probably know the story by now. Uh, Rockies GM Jeff Breidich came out in an interview and said, we're not trading Nolan Arenado this offseason. And literally right after that, Nolan Arenado came out and was saying he feels uh, disrespected by G- by Jeff Breidich, and he basically said, I do not want to play here anymore. And when clarifying, reports clarified that when he said he was re- disrespected, he wasn't disrespected by the fact that he was in trade rumors. He was disrespected by the fact that Jeff Breidich made no offseason moves, basically dooming Nolan Arenado to another year with this team that he probably doesn't really want to be a part of. So it sounds like Nolan Arenado, the trade rumors really did die down there for a while. And as a Cardinals fan, as soon as I saw the Jeff Breidich comment, I was like, well, at least I know it's not going to happen now. I don't have to wonder. I don't have to wonder anymore. And then Nolan Arenado comes out and says he's a, he has beef with him, apparently. And John Morosi did report last week that the Cardinals and Rangers... Could be re- will be restarting their trade talks with the Rockies in the coming days, and I assume by now, coming days is right now. So as we, as far as we know, the Cardinals and Rock or Rangers may be having conversations with the Rockies about Arenado right now. Personally, I don't think the Rangers. I don't think that would be a gr- very smart move for the Rangers because I don't think they're a competing team. But John Heyman did report that no one Arenado would waive his trade clause to go to the Cardinals, so 
yeah, it's. I have no idea if a deal's actually going to be made. I think it's pretty unlikely at this point. I wouldn't be surprised if Jeff Breidich just tries to like solve his problems with Arenado instead of trying to trade him. Uh, so now let's talk about the Diamondbacks acquiring Starling Marte from the Pirates and what they got in return. So Starling Marte will be going to the Pirates and he... I'm not sure if he's going to be moving. Into, I'm not sure what's going to happen here because the Diamondbacks already have David Peralta and Cole Calhoun in their outfield. So I assume this does, in fact, mean that Cattell Marte is going to be moving to second base permanently. And I think a Cole Calhoun, David Peralta, starring Marte outfield, and that's not that's not bad at all. Starring Marte at 295 with a 342 on base and 503 slugging to add up to an 845 OPS. He had a 119 WRC plus, a 353 weighted on base average, a 361 expected weighted on base average, and he hit 23 home runs and 82 RBIs. Off or defensively, he was not good at all. He had a negative nine DRS and negative seven point six UZR. Though his two um, outs above average does suggest it wasn't as bad as it should have been. And he was a three WAR player, so Starling Marte can still be a three to four WAR player if his if his defense improves back to where it was about average. He could definitely be a four WAR player for the Diamondbacks. And the Diamondbacks really making moves. I haven't looked at. I haven't like done any research to make my predictions on who's gonna what the standings are going to be and stuff, but the Diamondbacks have to be looking really good. And if the... We'll talk about this later, but if the Padres end up trading for Mookie Betts, it's going to be an interesting NLS with the Dodgers the and then the Padres with Mookie Betts and then the Diamondbacks who signed Cole Calhoun and Madison Bumgarner and um, traded for Starling Marte. Just really interesting. The NLS was a one-team... Uh, kind of race in 2019. Now it could be three teams. Though I don't think the Diamondbacks and Padres would seriously challenge the Dodgers. And as we're talking about the Mookie Betts rumors, I wasn't planning on talking about this later, but let's just get those out of the way. So the Padres and Red Sox were reported to have ongoing trade talks about Mookie Betts. And the Dodgers have also been linked to that as well, though the Padres have been the main team. And the details of the trade. So, a deal would likely include Will Myers going to the Red Sox. And that is actually one of the main problems that has kind of stalled the deal so far. Is that the Padres want the Red Sox to take Myers' entire remaining three-year $60 million contract. While the Red Sox only want to pay off half of that. Uh, a deal would also likely include one of... Manuel Margot, Margot or Josh Naylor, who are both outfielders. And then it would also include one of either Cal Quantrill or Joey Lucchese, who are starting pitchers. And there would likely be prospects involved in the deal as well. And the reports are also saying that uh, top the top Padres prospects, Mackenzie Gore, Taylor Trammell, and Luis Patino, are not involved in these trade talks. So it doesn't really sound like a super top prospect is going to be traded. And for those of you who don't know, Mackenzie Gore is actually the number five ranked prospect in the MLB. He's a starting pitcher. And then Luis Patino is also very highly ranked as a starting pitcher. And Taylor Trammell is also very highly ranked as an outfielder. So do I think this is going to happen? It's actually really complicated. 
I think there's arguments for both sides, and I think this is here they are. The argument for trading Mookie Betts. He will basically start restart the youth movement in Boston, bringing back guys like Will Myers, Manuel Margot, Josh, Josh Naylor, Cal Quantrill, Joey Lucchese. Not all, all those guys, but two or three of those guys. And then obviously some prospects. And also, I mean, the contracts would probably kind of level out for the 2020 season. So it's not really getting any rid of much payroll for the Red Sox. But it is getting back, getting a youth, uh, a lot of young players back for a player who's really not guaranteed to resign with Boston. You re we really have no idea if the Red Sox will be willing to bring Mookie Betts back, especially because I could easily see Mookie Betts getting like a $400 million deal next offseason, especially since Garrett Cole just got $325 million. Mookie Betts is going to want to at least, I would say, get 350 And who knows? He might even want to break Trout's record, which I, I don't know about that one. But... Yeah, this is really intriguing, especially with the new report that the Red Sox are serious about trading Mookie Betts. So it's not just these are talks that are kind of, you know, happening just to, for the Padres to do to their due diligence and the Red Sox kind of checking out what they could get. No, the Red Sox are actually serious about trading Mookie Betts. Uh, and I'll talk more about this for my prediction and the show. So I want to uh, rewind back to uh, something. I actually forgot to name the package for what the Pirates are getting back for Starling Marte. So the first guy they're getting back is Leover Paguero. I'm sorry if I pronounced that wrong. So Paguero is a shortstop, and he was the number 18 prospect in the Diamondbacks uh, system. And he's 19 years old, and he's projected to be an average hitter with really good base running, he's really fast and plus fielding, and he's said to have he's said to have had a very high ceiling, a lot of potential there for Paguero. And the Pirates are also getting back Brendan Malone, who is a right-handed pitcher who's who was the number nine prospect in the Diamondbacks rotation. He's also 19 years old, and he's projected to be a future starter in the MLB. And he has a very high ceiling due to his. Uh, he has the potential to be a dominant power pitcher. So I think this is a fine return for Marte. I don't think it's anything spectacular, but I also don't think the Pirates are getting absolutely robbed like they did in the Critch Archer trade, giving up Austin Meadows, Tyler Glass now, and Shane Boz. So now let's talk about a signing that uh, does not gruntle me. It disgruntles me, in fact. Braves, The Braves have signed outfielder Marcelo Zuna to a one-year, $18 million contract. Uh, this is a very smart, smart move by the Braves. If you look at Ozuna's stats, I've gone over this before. Yeah, he had 804 OPS, 110 WRC+, 337 Woba, 2.6 WAR. Those are all good, not great. But that 382 x Woba should just scare the ever-living crap out of NL East teams. Because Mar I think Marcelo Zuna is going to go off. I think he's going to go off. I think this is going to be very similar to the Josh Donaldson signing for the Braves. They bring in a guy who kind of had a down year. I mean, Ozuna wasn't... I mean, you can't say it was a down year, but Ozuna thinks he would get more by having a big year. 
So they bring in Ozuna on a one-year deal, and or they bring in Donaldson on a one-year deal, and he rakes and he goes up, goes out and gets a five-year, one hundred million dollar contract from the Twins. I think that's what Ozuna and the Braves are trying to do. I think Ozuna's trying to get a one-year deal for a bounce back. Though I think uh, a Nick Castellano signing would have worked much better, as he has the one-year option where he would still make $60 million, and if he had a big year, he could opt out of that and go for bigger money. Or if he's continues to do what he's doing, he's still going to end up making $64 million. And actually something I didn't mention for the Castellanos signing, because it wasn't uh, the, that news wasn't revealed yet when I talked about it, there's also a one-year, or a not, a, there's a fifth-year mu- mutual option worth $20 million. So that deal could possibly be worth five years, $84 million. But... I think Ozuna should have signed a deal like that instead, but the Braves, knowing that there may have not been a market for that, and Scott Boris is a master of negotiations, and Ozuna doesn't have Boris, and Castellanos does. I also think this is bad for the Cardinals. If they don't trade for Arenado, I don't think that lineup is good enough to get anywhere. I think what they did in the 2019 season would be kind of the same thing they do in the uh, 2020 season if they don't end up trading for Arenado. I really did think they were going to sign Ozuna, but that obviously didn't happen, and that angers me. Though I'm not nearly as heated as I would have been if I recorded the podcast right after, because I've realized the Cardinals have a lot of young potential there in their outfield. Uh, With Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, Lane Thomas, probably trying to get starting jobs with Dexter Fowler out there, as well as Dylan Carlson coming up in the uh, later in the offseason. I'm not near as mad as I was, but when I first saw that, I was just thinking, how could the Cardinals not match that? But now that the reports are actually saying that Marcelo Zuna declined not just three, but four-year deals is insane. I'm really surprised he couldn't work out like a one-year, like oh, what Castellanos did with a option ad for the first year. And then if if he wants to not opt out, he can end up still making $60 million. So definitely an interesting deal there. The Braves have replaced Josh Donaldson's bat. So really it's just down to the Nationals who I think they're going to regress a little. Anthony Rendon was a seven-war player. And they're really not – they're replacing him with Asdrubal Cabrera basically – and maybe Carter Keboom if he can get the starting job. I'm definitely rooting for Carter Keboom there. I'd much rather watch Keboom than as Drupal Cabrera, who's kind of washed. So another piece of news here. The Mets hired um, their uh, quality control coach, Luis Rojas, to a two-year deal to be their new manager to replace the recently resigned slash fired Carlos Beltran. So, I didn't really know what to say about this deal because Luis Rojas, I've never heard of him before the interviews, when he before he interviewed with the Mets this offseason. I'd never heard of him. So, um, what? but after doing some reading, I think he's very comparable to the Cardinals giving Mike Schilt their job. And I know, I'm sorry I bring up the Cardinals every other second, but that's just the best comparison comparison I have for this. So both Mike Schilt and Luis Rojas uh, were baseball players who really never made it that far. 
I mean, Rojas made it farther than Schilt. Schilt didn't make it past college baseball. Rojas didn't at least made it to the minor leagues. Both Rojas and Schilt managed in the minor leagues for a really long time. And then recently, both had been called up to the major league staff to play uh, well, Luis Rojas was quality control coach. Mike Schilt was the bench coach. And then both took over after a firing. Carlos Beltrano's fired. Luis Rojas takes over. Mike Matheny's fired. Mike Schilt takes over. So based on that, and I've heard a lot of the Mets players tweeted out their support for Luis Rojas. Like the one I remember off the top of my head is Pete Alonso because he was uh, Pete Alonso's along with many other Mets is like Jeff McNeil. Uh, he was their double A manager. And I think that's always a positive and that's similar to the Cardinals dynamic. A lot of the younger players had Mike Schilt as their double uh, A manager as well, I believe. Because W. Clapp was managing AAA. So yeah, I'm not going to say I like the signing, but I'm definitely not going to say I dislike the signing. We're just going to have to see how it goes. I do like the fact that it's two years, though. Because I think the the Mets are still on the hook for Mickey Calloway. Because of uh, they gave him three years, I think. So speaking of managing, we also have some new Astros interview news. They have... Uh, announced that they have interviewed three new candidates, former Rangers manager Jeff Bannister, former Tigers and Angels manager Brad Osmus, and athletics uh, athletics quality control coach Mark Kotze, who is also getting um, managerial interviews later in this, uh, the, this offseason. Personally, I still don't think any of these three guys are going to be getting it. I think it's, gonna, it's down to the four people they interviewed first. John Gibbons, Dusty Baker, Buck Walter, and Joe Espada. And I'm going to actually rule out Joe Espada because I don't think they want to give it to someone inside the organization because Espada was on the 2018 che- team that cheated. So I do think it's down to Gibbons, but Baker, Showalter. I think the Astros are just doing their due diligence on some of these guys who they think could, could be good. But like Brad Ausmus has never really been a great manager. I don't know why they would bring him in. I guess they could bring in Jeff Bannister. He used to coach in Texas, and he's had playoff success before. I don't know much about Mark Kotze. Uh, the Astros have also interviewed other people like uh, Eduardo Perez and Will Venable, though since uh, then Will Venable has announced that he's not leaving the Cubs. So it's really he's not really a candidate at this point. So yeah, it... I've repeated this over and over again for three podcasts or so, but I think it's down to John Gibbons, Dusty Baker, and uh, Buck Showalter. So it'll be interesting interesting to see how the uh, who the Astros hire there and how soon that is. I would assume it's going to be pretty soon here. Uh, we Now we have some veteran signings to get into, three of them here. So first of all, the Royals have re-signed outfielder Alex Gordon to a one-year, $4 million contract. Uh, Gordon was actually pretty good in 2019. He hit 266 with 13 home runs and 76 RBIs. He had a 345 on base, a 396 slugging, a 741 OPS, a 96 WRC+, plus, which means he was 4% below league average offensively, a 319 weighted on base average, a 332 expected weighted on base average. So uh, definitely some offensive upside there for him. I think he could definitely still be an average offensive contributor to the Royals. 
defensively, he was uh, fine. He had a 1 DRS, 3.2 UZR, and a negative 5 OAA. So I think Alex, based on the OAA, Alex Gordon might regress a little, finally, after being a pretty good fielder for most of his career, and a 1.3 war. So I think Gordon can definitely still be a solid 1.5, maybe even a 2 war player, if you go on the optimistic side. I, I like it for... Uh, I like this for Kansas City. I don't think Gordon should have played anywhere else, and I think this is probably going to be his last year. I don't see why he would continue to play. I think he just uh, should get his well-deserved farewell tour in Kansas City. We also have the Braves signing starting pitcher Felix Hernandez to a minor league deal that would pay him $1 million if he cracks the big league roster. Uh... I wish I could say Felix Hernandez is going to turn it around and finally make the playoffs, but I don't see that happening. He had a 640 ERA, a 6 FIP, a 517 Sierra, a 502, or excuse me, a 517 X FIP, a 502 Sierra. For those of you who don't know, FIP, X FIP, and Sierra are, those are ERA indicators, so they kind of just say what their ERA should have been. Felix Hernandez isn't going to bounce back. Looking at his peripherals, they're just hard to look at. And I think he could crack the big league roster and be given a chance, maybe in the bullpen. Or maybe even as their fifth starter over Sean Newcomb, which would be interesting to say the least. But I don't think Felix Hernandez has a chance to make a postseason roster for a Braves team that is looking really good. Possibly a team that could be the favorites to come out of the NL. Yeah, I don't know about that one. I think the Braves are just kind of throwing something at the wall and hoping it can stick, and it'd be a great story if Felix Hernandez bounced back, but to be the bearer of bad news, I don't think it's going to happen. On a much happier note, though, you have the Nats re-signing first baseman Ryan Zimmerman to a one-year, $2 million contract. Can't say anything bad about this guy. He was the first player to ever hit a Nationals home run. He was the first player to ever hit a Nationals World Series home run. Uh, he was on the. He was the first draft pick by the Nationals. He was the first everything for the Nationals. He's Mr. National. He should never, ever, ever play in a different uniform. Uh, and he could have been a Hall of Famer if he stayed healthy, but unfortunately that's not the case. But he'll definitely be a Nats Hall of Famer, and it's it'll be fun to see him probably go on his one last ride in 2020. Though, I, personally, if I were him, I might have retired on top. But, now we have a few things to get to before I end the show. First off, we have some sad injury news. Dustin Pedroia can't catch a break. The Red Sox second baseman has suffered another significant setback. It's just hard to watch at this point. He's only played nine games in the last two seasons, and he's only played one full season since uh in the last five seasons he hasn't been able to stay healthy at all and i think dustin pejoria it's very likely that he never puts on a major league uniform again which is pretty sad i've actually seen a lot of people suggesting he should manage the red sox in 2020 which would be interesting to say the least though i highly doubt that would happen uh you also have mitch hanniger who has received core surgery. I don't know exactly what that means, but he will be out for six to eight weeks, which means Hanniger will miss most of spring training, 
not probably not all of it, but he may not even get back until the last few days of spring training if the recovery time is the eight weeks that could be. So that's unfortunate. Hanniger's a fun player to watch on a Mariners team that doesn't have too many fun players to watch. Uh, and yeah, hopefully he gets healthy because a ruptured testicle he suffered last season sounds kind of brutal. Uh, on the positive side, though, Miguel Andujar is looking to get healthy in 2020, and reports are saying that the Yankees are wanting Andujar to learn how to play first base and left field after returning from injury. First base is definitely more uh, realistic than left field. I don't think you should throw him in the outfield. I think that would be slightly disastrous, though they did it with Nick Castellanos, and while it's not really working that well because he's just awful defensively in every way, Hey, I mean, I'd rather have an out, awful uh, defensive outfielder than an awful defensive third baseman because defense is super important at third base. So, so it'll be interesting to see how Andujar fits in that stacked Yankees lineup. I mean, let's go through their lineup. Gary Sanchez, uh, Luke Voigt, second base, uh, DJ LeMahieu. You got Glaber, Gio Urshela, Stanton, Gardner, Judge in the outfield. Hicks will be returning midseason. Andujar will be back soon. He could probably play DH as well. Yeah, that Yankees lineup with Garrett Cole and Luis Severino and Masahiro Tanaka and their bullpen of Aroldis Chapman and Chad Green. Yikes, that team's going to win the World Series. Just for revealing my predictions right off the bat, they're winning the World Series, folks. Uh, and one more little bit of news is that Mike Miner and Matt Chapman are reportedly interested in an extension with their teams. So would I do this if I were the Rangers? Would I extend Mike Miner? Answer, no, I would not. He way uh, outperformed his peripherals. Yeah, his 359 ERA and 4.2 war are great. I'm 359 ERA is not great, but he had a 425 FIP, a 460 XFIP, and a 451 Sierra. Like, not to blow out the Rangers fun Rangers fans fun for 2020 but Mike Miner is not going to be near as good I think Lance Lynn's gonna have another great year I think Corey Kluber could potentially bounce back but I think Mike Miner is going to be your third best starter by a pretty wide margin and one final thing I want to comment on before I get off there's allegations going around about Mike Fears fires I always say his name wrong Mike fires the starting pitcher for the Athletics. He's most famous for the guy who was the whistleblower of the Astros scandal, cheating scandal. But there has been, have been, I think, three underage girls who have come out and said that uh, basically did the same thing as Felipe Vasquez, if you're catching my flow. I'm not going to make any comments or have any opinions on that until an investigation because... Yes, we you should absolutely take those allegations seriously, but you're proven until or you're uh, innocent until proven guilty. So I'm not going to ridicule him for being a terrible person because I have no idea if he actually did it or not. So that is it for episode four of Baseball Ramble. It took a while uh, to get this out. Uh, I had some annoying technical malfunctions, and Friday was too busy to post. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode, and I will see you guys on Friday for episode 5 of Baseball Ramble. Thank you for listening.